Um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4 if you want to open your Bibles to that. I'm also going to have it up on the screens, but it never hurts to have your Bible open, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, if you turn there, for those of you that maybe you're new or the first time or you've been just coming a few weeks, we are, as a church, we're reading through the New Testament. And the sermons every week are following what people have read that week. So if you've been here a few weeks and you're like, these guys are just randomly jumping around to places and there seems to be no thread through it all, it's because we're just kind of following uh, through the New Testament. But if you're visiting again, we're really glad to have you. Um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 6. Uh, just a favorite passage of mine. This text, man, I want to tell you, it is a treasure house. There is so much just in these four verses. Um, I realized this week, I mean, I've been meditating a lot on this for over a month, but even this week, like, I could preach several sermons from this, and I think I will this morning. We might do two or three back to back to back. How's that sound? Just kidding. Uh, this morning, I, we're, I'm, I just want to, I'm not going to mine all of its riches. I just want to pull out a few nuggets, some things to me that are really um, key things in here. And um, I just love love the message of Paul in this. So would you stand with me if you would? I This is out of the NIV. If you've got an NIV Bible, you can read along in your Bible. We're going to be doing verses 3 to 6, or you can do it up on the screen with me. But uh, please read with me the word of the Lord. And it says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For Jesus, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. You know, there's still people in the world who don't have the word of God in their own heart language. So I'm so grateful we can read the word. So you may be seated. Yeah, sorry about my mistake there. You were like, because when you read long and then when this guy gets mixed up, you're kind of like, uh, and we're probably, even first service, we still, when we do this, it's not going to come off as perfect. Uh, I mean, they get baptized, but uh, I almost baptized my watch and some other things like that. But you know what? That's okay. I've said before, and it's a chance to say again, that we do not have an Ikea spirituality here. You know, in Ikea, you go in and you see perfect showrooms of exactly what a beautiful living room or bedroom or whatever could look like. And then if you were ever to buy all that, your house would never look that way, right? I don't, my house looks very lived in. And so we don't have an Ikea spirituality. We have a builder-upper spirituality. God is at work in my life, constantly at work. And in my life and in this body, there's stuff that's getting built, and there's sawdust, and there's tools laying around. And it's okay that if we mess up and don't do things perfect, because that's we celebrate that kind of spirituality. So, okay, enough said about that. So this morning, when we see this baptism, we're going to be celebrating people who have accepted the good news of Jesus. And that really is the topic of this text. Um, we see the word in here several times, gospel, and I just want to be clear. I didn't grow up churched, so I had no idea what all these church words mean. Gospel literally means good news. That is what the meaning of the word is in, um, in Greek. I actually prefer to say good news. Um, and in this po text, Paul's going to say several things about it. And we're really going to focus on verses 4, 5, and 6. And this is for those that have been here. Uh, sorry, but 
I'm not just creating this. Four and six are parallel with something in between, so it's almost like a hamburger, okay, or a cheeseburger. Um, we're going to start in the middle, and then I really want to focus on verses four and six because they're parallel things, and that's some of the really heavy stuff, the really awesome stuff is in there. So I do want to start in, in the middle in verse five. That's where I want to start with this is in verse five, where Paul says, we pre- what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So therefore, he's really clear about what they're, they're preaching, what they're promoting. It's not himself, but it is Jesus Christ as Lord. And we've talked before again. I grew up unchurched hearing the word Christ. I thought that was Jesus' last name, right? Garen Forsyth, so it's Jesus Christ. That's his last name. Didn't know that Christ is just transliterated from the Greek. It's the Greek word Christos, which means Messiah. So anytime you see Christ, you should just read Jesus the Messiah. I prefer to do that. It's more meaningful to me. So he's saying, we proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. And the Messiah was the person the Jewish people were waiting for who would come one day to make everything right again and reconcile us to himself. And so Paul is saying, we preach Jesus as the Messiah, that that Messiah has come in the person of Jesus. But he, but he says even more. He says he's not only Messiah, but we preach him as Lord. And in that day and age, Lord meant God. It mean, I mean, it means the same thing generally us, right? If I say, hey, the Lord showed up or the Lord talked to me, you're assuming I mean God, right? And so he's saying, we proclaim Jesus is not only the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior, but he is actually God who came in human flesh. And that's really what's at the heart of this good news of Jesus is that that God has come, um, Emmanuel, God to be with us, to bring us back to himself. If you were to, in your Bible, flip back, you don't have to do it, but if you were to flip back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 15, you would see Paul say a little bit more about the gospel there and the good news of Jesus. And I want to read that. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, he says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel of the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, by this good news, you are saved. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. This is a first importance. That Christ, the Messiah, died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the Old Testament when you see that scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, according to what the Old Testament has said. That's his short definition of the gospel of the good news, that he died for our sins and that he was raised on the third day. Paul's actually referencing Isaiah 53, if I were to show you in the Old Testament where this is found. And here's what Isaiah 53 says. I'm going to make this personal if you don't mind. It's hard for me to read this passage and not personalize it. He was wounded for the wrong things that I did, that I did. He was crushed for the evil things I did. The punishment that has made me well was given to him. And I am healed by his wounds. We all have wandered away like sheep, right? We have all wandered away like sheep. Each of us has gone his own way, but the Lord has put on him the punishment for all the evil that we have done. That's the scripture that he's referring to. About this gospel, Paul also wrote in Romans 5, 8, this, the God has shown how much he loves us. It was while we were sinners that Jesus died for us. By his death, we are now made right with God. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, just a a chapter after what we're reading now, he says that Jesus was without sin, but for our sake, for my sake, he became a sin offering that through him we might be made right with God. And then Peter, who was one of the main followers of Jesus, wrote this in his letter 
to some Christian followers, some followers of Jesus. In 1 Peter 3.18, Jesus died for sins once and for all, a righteous man on behalf of sinners in order to lead them to God. So that's kind of a, kind of a summary of that good news. If I were to give you the, the, the teaching or the, kind of the core of that. But I want you to see what Paul says about the gospel in verses 4 and 6, okay? So I want to come back to, uh, to that text. I'm going to show you in a minute. It's actually two parallel things, and I put it in parallel so you, so you can see it. But he's communicating some really important things. And what we're going to see, I mean, we just read it, but two things he's been communicating that are important. Number one is, is, is this, that both Satan and God are hard at work in relation to the gospel. We're told that Satan is blinding people to the gospel, that he is seeking to stifle and hinder it, so he wants people blind to it, to not see it. And God is actually hard at work shining the gospel. He is seeking to unleash it and to advance it. So they're both working against it. So if I were to show you parallel, here's the two parallel, those verses, so you can kind of see what they're communicating. So we're told in verse 4 that the God of this age, who is Satan, that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers for a very specific person, so that, so, they cannot see the light of the gospel. This gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He blinds people so they won't see that light. But then we're told in verse 6 that, that, that the very same God, Paul, I didn't have it put it in here, but in verse 6, if you have it in your Bible, it says, the one who said, let there be light, in, he's quoting Genesis 1-3, the one who said, let light shine out of darkness, that this very God who created light there, that he he is working. He makes his light to shine in our hearts. And that word shine, I love that. It, it can be translated to, be in, to enlighten, to open somebody's eyes to something. So he's shining his light. He's enlightening people. He's opening eyes for a very specific purpose, to give us the light of the knowledge of his glory, which is displayed or seen in the face of Christ, the face of Jesus. So Satan wants to blind people of the good news. He does not want them to see it. Um, but God wants to shine the light of the good news into hearts so people will see it. So the blind, the opposite of blind to see so that people will see it. And then not only see it, but when they get it, they'll believe it and they'll accept it. As Paul says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to tell you, being saved from your sin, that's the last thing Satan wants is for people to be saved. That's why he actively blinds people. We're told in the parable, Jesus told a parable of the, the soils and the, the, the soil that was hard. He says specifically that that seed, when it falls on that soil, it gets taken away by Satan. He wants to snatch it away. And in Luke, Luke's version, he says specifically he snatches it away so they will not believe it and be saved. He wants to prevent that at all costs, at all costs. So you've got Satan and God both working in relation to the good news, one to hinder it, one to advance it. But beside that, to me, they're really, that's all good stuff for me. There's just so much I could talk about, but there's two key things I really want you to see in this text. These are the two most important things for me this morning, and it's this. I want to talk about what we proclaim when we talk about the gospel or good news. I want to talk about what we proclaim. I gave a little bit of a summary a minute ago, but I want to get into even more detail on an important thing to me. And then secondly, I want to talk about what is the ultimate significance of what we proclaim? What's the ultimate significance? So first, what is it that we proclaim? I want you to know what we proclaim is news. It's news. It's good news. 
And I want to tell you, especially when you deal with people of other religions, and if you grew up like I did, like you're reading a lot of philosophy, trying to figure out the meaning of life, that there is no single philosophy, there is no single religion in the world that they tell you that the, con the main content of what they're talking about is news. It's usually beliefs or dogmas or theories, that kind of thing. But when we're talking about Jesus, what we're talking about mainly is news, and that's really significant. Because news means that some event happened in history, in time and space, and that event has implications. And the bigger the news, the bigger the implications. If you've got huge news, that impacts everybody and everything. You guys remember 9-11? We just celebrated, what, 20 years ago? You guys remember? That's one of those few things where you remember where you were when you found out about it. I want to tell you, that was huge news when that happened, wasn't it? And that change did not, not change everything. It changed so much. It started a new war. It started a couple of wars. It changed the way things happen at the airport. I still hate going through all of that stuff you have to do at the airport. So that news had implications for everything and everybody. Um, and at some point in the future, I want to talk more about why this idea of news is so important. But here's what I just want to tell you, is that what we proclaim is it is news. And that's why the angels, when they appeared to the shepherds that Christmas, first Christmas, 2,000 years ago in Luke 10, here's what that angel said to them. Do not be afraid. I bring you good what? I'm bringing you news, news that will cause great joy for all people because today an event has happened. Something has happened in history, in Bethlehem today, and it's news that I'm proclaiming to you, and it is this, that the Savior has been born, and he is the Messiah, and not only that, he is the Lord. He is the Lord, the same thing Paul was proclaiming. So I just want you to know we have news to tell. We have news to tell, and that's why in 1 Timothy 2.7, Paul calls us heralds. A herald was a person who would run to a community and give the news that they needed to hear of something that had happened significant. So we proclaim news. In a minute, I want to come back to that news. But to me, that's a significant thing, is that we proclaim news. But even more important to me is this. So we proclaim news, good news specifically, but what's the ultimate significance of that good news? There's a lot of important things in that news, but what is the ultimate significance and to me, that's found in verses 4 and 6, especially verse, in verse 4. So I'm going to bring that up again. In verse 4, Paul says this. So it's the third, I think the third um, row in that left column. He says, the light of the gospel, or the light of the good news, that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The good news that displays the glory of Christ in verse six the, six, the parallel verse, it says the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And I want to tell you, those are not two separate glories. They're one glory that Paul's talking about. It is the glory of the whole Trinitarian community. But what stands out to me is this, that when describing the good news and its ultimate significance, he says the ultimate significance of the good news is that it displays the glory of Christ. That's the ultimate significance. It's significant on so many levels. It's significant to me. But the ultimate significance is it displays the glory of Christ. And I've said before, because that word glory can be a little bit of a church word. A little bit, not totally. But I always like words that speak more deeply to me. That word refers to splendor or beauty. I really love the word beauty. So let's, can I use the word beauty? Well, I'm going to. Yeah, whether you agree or not, I'm just going to. 
Here's what I want you to see. The ultimate significance of the gospel is this. Paul says that light of the gospel, that it displays, that it shows, that it exhibits, it puts on parade the beauty of Jesus. It puts on display the beauty of Jesus. That is the ultimate significance of what we proclaim. That this whole story that I'm going to hit in just a minute, this news, it shines a light on Jesus. That's the ultimate significance. And in this news, we should see his beauty displayed. So let me hit that good news if you don't mind. Here is the good news of Jesus. Here is that news. The God, the God of the universe created in time and space and history. He created a universe that was perfect and exactly as he wanted it to be. That was full of his shalom and his peace. But because of the sin of that first man and woman, they broke the relationship with God. And everything in that creation fell and became corrupted. We have sin and suffering and death have entered into it. And that that creator, that God could have left it alone, left us to our own devices, but he didn't. But that he, in history, he entered into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. That he literally came into this world, this broken world of suffering, to not only experience that suffering himself, but so that he could bring restoration of that creation back to himself. To make it how he originally designed it. And also he came into it to reconcile us to himself. And I want you to know, if you read the stories of Jesus, everywhere he went, he spread the shalom, the peace that was in that original creation, everywhere he went. That everything and everyone he touched just received these new and profound levels of wholeness that they never had before. That everywhere Jesus' feet trod upon this earth, he brought love and life and liberation. Everywhere he went, love and life and liberation. And not only that, he came on a search and rescue mission for me and for you. He came to find us and to bring us back to himself. That's why in Luke 19.10, when he said this, the Son of Man, the reason I came was to seek and to save the lost. We just read about that in Isaiah, right? We've all wandered away like sheep. I came to seek and save all those lost. Or in Mark 10.45, the Son of Man, myself, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to give my life. And so Jesus... His whole life walked that path of suffering that we, we go through in so much of life, but he walked it all the way to death, intentionally. Death on a cross for me and for you. And then I want to tell you, in history, because this is news, the most life-changing thing that ever happened, that's the hinge of history. He rose from the dead three days later in history, and he defeated death and evil and sin, and he conquered all of that. And he appeared to people, um, he showed himself, and then he ascended to heaven where he's at the right hand of the Father, reigning over creation. And then he is bringing to himself people who come to know him. We call it the church, right, when we come into relationship. And he has give, put us on a mission to bring, be doing the restoration that he's doing, that where we walk, love, life, and liberation happens, okay? Not to the same degree, because we're not the creator. But that one day he will come again. And when he comes again, he will come as king. And he will finally and fully conquer evil and sin and death. He will create a new heaven and earth, we're told. And we will live with him on that new creation. He will raise us from the dead. That those who have received him as Lord and Savior will live forever and ever with him in that place. A place, we're told, where there is, there is no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more pain, no more crying. Where the old is forgotten and the new has come. Do you not long for that day? A place where those who have accepted him will live forever and ever with him. I don't know about you, but listen to me. I mean, this is that, 
That whole story is good news. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And Jesus is beautiful. And, and again, I want to tell you, if you've not read the eyewitness accounts of his life, read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John. Pick one of those up, and I encourage you to do that if you haven't. And watch him and listen to him and see what he does and watch how he treats women. Watch how he treats children and the marginalized and the poor and outcasts. Watch how he treats sinners. Watch how he treats those in power. Watch how he treats those who are really heavy in religion and have all that religion power. Just watch how he treats everybody. Because I really am convinced when I read that, when I first read it, that that story of him, it reflects his absolute magnificence and his absolute beauty. You cannot help but to be drawn to the beauty of who he is when you see that. That's why Paul says, he calls it the gospel, he says, it is the light of the gospel that displays the beauty of Christ. That is the ultimate significance of the gospel. Yes, I am saved through the gospel. I'm brought into relationship with the gospel. I gained eternal life. I've been brought into a family through the gospel. But the ultimate significance is not that. It is that that whole story shines the light on Jesus and on his beauty and it magnifies his beauty. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news? Man, that's good news. I want to tell you, for centuries in the West, um, yeah, that's the good news. It displays the beauty of Jesus. For centuries in the West, all the great thinkers have talked about the triad of truth, goodness, and beauty. And here's what they always said, that wherever you find truth, you will find goodness and beauty attached to it. And wherever you find goodness, you will find beauty and truth attached to it. And wherever you find beauty, you're going to find goodness and, and truth attached to it. And I want you to know that in Jesus, you find the essence of all three of those things, goodness, beauty, and truth. I didn't know Jesus growing up. I knew about him. And if you'd asked me my opinion of him, it would have been, I think, what really throughout history has been the, the general universal consensus that he uttered truth that was so great and profound that nobody before him ever uttered truth like he did and nobody after has ever uttered truth like him. But I think it's been the universal, throughout history, the universal consensus that Jesus was the embodiment of goodness. That to look at Jesus is to see someone who lived life as it was intended to be lived, right? A life that none of us live well. And all of us fall short of, radically fall short of. And I want you to know the universal consensus has been that Jesus is beautiful. That he is beautiful. Perhaps that's why he is the focus of more music and more art than any other person in history because beauty begets beauty. Beauty begets beauty. But here's the sad truth we just saw in that text. That not everybody sees the beauty of Jesus. That not everybody sees it. And I'm not going to go into all the reasons why this morning. Uh, I, I'll throw in one. <laughs> I'm just wondering to people who don't know him, do they see Jesus as beautiful in us? That, that's, that's a question I ask all the time, but we won't go there, okay? But one of the ones, and what this text says, is that Satan is actively blinding people's spiritual eyes so they will not see his beauty. He's actively blinding people. Verse 3, he has veiled their eyes. He's put a veil over so they cannot see his beauty. That's his whole purpose. I want to give you an example of this, and I'm going to offend some young people, okay? I'm going to say this up front. 
Uh, and the illustration here is those people who are blinded, like it's not their fault. There's, there's something else, okay? It's not my fault. Uh, okay, just let me, this is from my own life. This is speaking as an old person, okay? It is said that soccer is called the beautiful sport, right? The soccer is called the beautiful sport. For people who grew up when I did, I want to tell you, I still struggle to see one-nil scores as being beautiful. <laughs> okay? Or all the flopping that goes on is beautiful. Um, uh, yeah, Robin, he was kind of really great at it. But I do watch some, okay? But I want you to know, I am blinded to the supposed beauty of soccer. It's been veiled from my eyes. And so for those of you here that, that love soccer, I'm not saying anything about soccer. I'm just saying something about me. I'm just blind to it, okay? It, there's a veil over my eyes. I'm all for the beauty of an 88-87 college basketball game. That, to me, is what's beautiful, okay? That's the beautiful sport to me. Um, and that was all for Mel. And Mel isn't here this service. Uh, he and I talk about soccer all the time. So, But Satan has blinded people to the beauty of Jesus. I don't know if you remember, a few months ago, I said that my generation, Gen Xers, we were primarily drawn to and asking questions about truth and credibility. That's why Josh McDowell is so big in a lot of us coming to faith, okay? We were asking a lot of questions about truth. Is Jesus true? Is there historical truth, okay? That was our big questions. The millennials, I said, were primarily drawn to and looking for goodness. And the Gen Z were primarily drawn to and were seeking beauty. And what I may not have said clearly in those days, um, but I do want to say is that as humans, we are all longing for all three. We all need Goodness, truth, and beauty, we all long for all three. God designed us for goodness, truth, and beauty. Um, we need all of them. Um, and I'm not going to go into the reasons for this this morning, but I want to tell you more than ever before, more than ever, especially if you talk to young people, people are starving and they are searching for the ultimate beauty in the world. They're so hungry for that. They're so hungry for that. And I want to tell you that that ultimate, the beauty that people are so hungry for is found in Jesus. And it's found in his face because that's where the beauty of God has shown us in the face of Jesus. So, I mean, here's a challenge for those of us that follow Jesus. Let us be people who first and foremost proclaim Jesus, okay? Jesus, the beautiful one. Not primarily our ethical standards, as important as they are. I'm not saying they're unimportant. That cannot be the first thing we talk about with Jesus, the most important thing. Not primarily our dogmas or our beliefs, as important as they are, okay? They're, they're important. The thing that first and foremost we need to be presenting and talking to people about is Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who is good and who is true and is, who is beautiful. And he's the one that draws people to himself. Does that make sense? So let us be people who proclaim Jesus first. Just a little over a week ago, I was at a conference, Art of Teaching in Portland, and I met a fellow from Dallas, and his shirt kind of caught my eye because it said, goodness, truth, and beauty. And I'm going, that's a cool shirt. And I said, what, what is that? What's, why do you have that? And he said, well, I go to a church in Dallas, and he said, the vision of our church, here's the vision of his church, for Dallas to encounter the truth goodness and beauty of Jesus. Isn't that cool? That through them, the, the, the people of Dallas would encounter the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Jesus. That is so great. I just love that. So, as we share Jesus, 
in both word and deed. Let us share not only the truth of Jesus, but let us share the goodness and the beauty of Jesus. And a lot of that comes in the kind of life you live, okay? And we do that because the light of the gospel, the greatest thing that it does is it displays the glory of Jesus. It displays his beauty. Amen to that? Amen. Good. Thanks for that. Amen. All right. In a minute, we're going to do a baptism. And I'm excited because in their stories, you're going to hear the beauty and the goodness of Jesus and the truth. In this text, there's one word that really stands out as I looked at it, and it's that word blinded, that he wants to blind people to the light of the good news, the beauty of Jesus. So I want to ask you, and this is one of those teacher questions, you're like, okay, Gary's going to, what's he want us to say? Like, but when you say that word blind or blinded, there's a really famous song that you tend to think of for some people. A lot of pressure, first service got it. What do you think? Is there a song? Somebody say it. Blinded by the light, okay. Anything else? <laughs> See, he's like, ah, oh, the teacher wanted me to say something else. Like a pretty old song, goes back several centuries. Amazing grace, amazing grace. Blinded by the light's and also an awesome song. Just like soccer's an awesome sport, right? You know, I'm all for all of them. <laughs> yeah. Now he's like, oh my gosh, okay, I gotta look at my Bible. No icon of Garen. No, good job. Here's the song John Newton wrote Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. He was actually referring when he wrote that to a story Jesus told in Luke 15 about a father and two sons that were both lost. And in that story, when his, when his younger son leaves, and then comes back to restore the relationship with him. The father says of him, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So those words come out of the Bible. This whole thing of being, of being blind and seeing, of being lost and found, of being dead and alive are very important words in the Bible. And I'm emphasizing this for a really important reason. Because in a minute, you're going to see some people get baptized. And I grew up, okay, with no faith. And so... When I, what I thought is, oh, somebody gets baptized, they're becoming a Christian at that moment. That's what I thought. Because to me, it was all about rules and rituals, right? Oh, you do the right rules and rituals, then I'm sure God like, is happier with you, right? So this is one of those rituals that makes him like you. But I want to tell you, they're not becoming a Christian or a follower of Jesus in this event. This act of baptism, it does not save them, okay? It doesn't make them right with God. It is simply a public declaration that they're making today that I've already entered into a relationship with Jesus. I've already gained eternal life through coming to him and accepting his sacrifice for my sin and committing my life to him as Lord. I've already accepted that. That what I'm doing today is I'm just publicly declaring to everybody that I'm all in with him. Okay, that's what's going on here. It's a lot like the Bible calls baptism a sign or a picture. And I always compare it to a wedding ring. A wedding ring is a sign. The day I got married with Pat, the rings didn't make me married. What makes you married is the exchange of vows, okay? Then you seal that with a kiss and you put on the rings as a sign of the relationship you've entered into. This does not make me married. If we had forgotten our rings on the day of our wedding, it wouldn't have been like, well, you can't get married today. Go home. Let's reschedule this. All these do is these are a way that publicly people look and say, oh, that person is in a marriage relationship. They've entered into a relationship. And baptism is the same way. It's just a sign or a picture, a public sign of a relationship already 
that's already been entered into. And so what you see today, when you see this, which is going to be so awesome, you're going to see people saying, and you may hear, I'm not sure, you may hear in their story who are saying, I was lost, but I was found by him. Okay? I was blind, but now I see because he's shown his light. It's all about him. And I was dead, and now I'm alive because dead people can't make themselves alive. I'm alive because of him and what he's done. I was found, I was given sight, I was made alive through Jesus and through him alone. Through him alone. Can we say that? Through him alone? I I just want to be clear on that. Through him alone. That's so significant. So I want to tell you what I thought growing up. The good news of Jesus is not about bad people being made good or good people getting better. It's not about that at all. The Bible is so clear what the good news of Jesus is about is people who are spiritually dead and unable to respond, him making them alive through their faith in Jesus. That's what it's about. Not from good to bad, good, you know, bad to good, sorry, good to bad. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Bad, good, good to better. That's not the point. It's that I was dead. I was dead and he made me alive. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. That Jesus, the creator, came as the savior and he died and he was buried. That's the picture you're going to see. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And if I will put my faith in his death, burial, and resurrection and receive him as my Lord, at that moment, I become his child. That to anybody who receives him, he gives the right to become a child of God. I become his child at that moment. And then when I step in the water, I'm just saying the same thing. That I was dead and I received Jesus and now I have new life because of him. It's just a picture, okay? That's what's going on when we do this. The old Garen has died. This new Garen has come. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about his beauty. This is all to display his glory. That's cool, isn't it, Zach? Yeah, displaying his glory. Lucas is here somewhere. Where's Lucas? Isn't that cool, Lucas? This is all about his glory. Matt, this is all about his glory. I don't know about you, but just the power of story, the power of testimony. I've been thinking all this week about what Corey said, just about how our lives are to be a billboard of what Jesus has done for us. Nothing about what we've done, but what all of what he has done for us. And just as he also shared, that just this is a reminder that we never forget our own utter dependence, our own need for Jesus. Let's sing about Christ and how it is him alone that saves us.
churchy prayers Matt talked about. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day where we get to see stories lived out that shine the light on you and the beauty of who you are and of lives that are changed by a personal encounter with you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for how you've changed my own life. Um, we just want you to be famous in all the world. I just pray for them as they live these days forward, just following you, walking with you, abiding in you, that you would continue to produce fruit in their life, um, and that through them, that people would see the goodness and the truth and the beauty of who you are. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the beautiful one, amen. So 12, there are a lot of people out there who are blinded to the beauty of Jesus, so let us go out and live lives and tell the truth of his, of his truth, his goodness, and his beauty. So as always, 12, you are sent.